So this morning, heard about another shooting um, where I think three more police officers have been killed. And it seems like every day there's something else. I mean, this week, the, the coup in Turkey, um, the uh, attack in, in Spain, was in, no, it was in Nice. Yeah, it was in Nice. I, I just one after another, and I just can't help but think how important it is for us to pursue God. And I mean, pursue him with our whole hearts. Just like we were just singing, I'm a child of God. We can rest in that. I mean, as, as the storm is going, we can rest that we are children of the king. But yet then we can get engaged in this world and hopefully God can use us to make a difference. But, you know, the end is coming. I don't know how soon. The disciples thought it was gonna be in their lifetime. Um, I think it could be in our lifetime. Jesus is coming back. And if not, my days are numbered. And so are we making the most of our days because the world we live in is, is hard. Um, the, the world we live in, there's a lot of evil going on and we are the good. We are God's plan to impact this world. We're plan A and there is no plan B. And if we don't do anything about it, it will just keep going. So I just say this to go, you know what? Let's not get discouraged. We, we can get discouraged looking at the world, but I hope that's not our response, church. I hope our response is hope and confidence and then we engage in the mission. Um, and let God use us to do great things because it's a tough place. Um, we are going to be in Jonah, actually, for the next four weeks or so. So grab a Bible. Um, if you notice now, there are little boxes under some seats. So if you need a Bible, you can just reach in front of you or behind you or under your seat and grab a Bible. There's notes placed, you know, every three chairs. So if you want one, reach down and grab one. If you don't have notes and you want one, raise your hand. And somebody that has one next to you will pass one in your direction. Anybody want notes? Cool. Rock on. Um, also, there's always the app. And so you can, you can take notes on the app, Common Ground Carson. So in the late 1800s, there was a, a young Irish man named William P. Nicholson. Um, and William, his dad was a sea captain and, and he wanted to go to sea. And he wasn't the, the normal book learning type person. He wanted to go. He was an adventurer. And, and so at a young age, he went out on the sea, and, and they were on a voyage, I think heading to the States at some point, um, and a storm hit. Uh, their, their ship was about to be capsized. It, all the load was shifted over, and it was sitting on its side, filling up with water. Another ship actually came up to, to rescue them, um, but with the number of people or whatever it was, if they were to jump from there onto their boat, they would have sunk that one, so they just left them. Um, and here they were, basically left, left to die. Um, and just picture that scene, <laughs> a storm follows your, your boat sinking, you're in the middle of the ocean. Well, of course, everybody cries out to God in that time and they're able to adjust their cargo and the ship rights and they make it back. Um, the story goes, none of them really continued their walk. <laughs> their, their vows that they, they vowed to the Lord in that time, they forgot about those. And, and William was one of those, but life went on. Um, in 1899 though, William finally said yes to Jesus. And he gave his life over to Christ. Uh, it was a, a traveling preacher that came through. And then a little while later, this was a time where they did that. Traveling preachers and revivals and things like that. Um, and it actually worked a lot of times. But his life goes on. And, and so he gives his life to Christ. But he, he writes about he still struggled with a fear of man. So, I mean, imagine this is 18... 99, 1900, he still, he didn't really want to be identified as a Christian. He didn't want to hang out with the Christians. He, he, he wanted to look different. And so he struggled with this, what, what he describes as an inner turmoil of knowing what was true and seeing people that have the joy of the Lord and wanting it, 
but not really being willing to go all in for it, not really willing to surrender. He was still concerned about himself, and he would pray and spend time in the Word because that's what good Christians are supposed to do, but he just found no life there. Um, he was, it was just duty, and so he writes about this until another traveling preacher comes through town, and he starts hearing about the life really surrendered to Jesus. And he, he goes through a process where finally he gives his life over, I mean, fully. I, I, he says he was saved the first time, but here he, he got towards surrender and trying to get over what others would say about him. And then Salvation Army came through town, and it wasn't a thrift store back then. It was, uh, it was an actual movement where they were trying to bring salvation. There was a Salvation Army. And so it was a, a denomination, and they came through. And there were these two girls that were part of the Salvation Army, and they were going to do this parade. And somehow he got invited to be part of the parade. And then he was faced with this turmoil of, am I going to walk down the center of town, identifying myself as a Christian with this kind of freaky parade Christian thing? um, Or am I going to continue being concerned about how people view me? Well, he did it. He he decided he was going to go, and he had some women sew something on his back, and it said, saved from public opinion. And so that was written on his sweatshirt as he went down, and over time, of course, life changed. He became a traveling evangelist. Uh, he went around the world 10 times, said he, he probably preached in every nation on the world. And, and he was one of those that just gave his life over, surrendered, and tens of thousands gave their lives to Christ through his work. Now, here's the question. What if he would have said no to God? What if, as God was calling him, he said, no, I'm going to live life my way? Or, or what if he, he did say yes to Christ, but then said no to the really full surrender I'm going in for you, and just he lived that life of apathetic Christianity? What if? Were there, would there be ten, tens of thousands of people that weren't saved because of that? Depends on your theology there. But regardless, if he would have gone that way, he would have missed out on something great God had for him. What if he had said no? And then think of the repercussions going off. And I think about that because then I look at our lives. And it seems so simple right now, you know, especially when you're a kid, you know, when you're 10, 11 years old or whatever, you think you have forever ahead of you, but you don't. And, and what's your legacy going to be? And those of us who are getting older, what's our legacy? What are we going to leave? Are we making the most of our days? And what I want to ask today is, are we saying yes to Jesus? Not just for salvation, although it starts there. Are we saying yes, that he has our life? He can do whatever he wants. We're gonna be looking in Jonah because Jonah is an example of someone who said no to God and God proves he's gonna do what he wants to do (laughs) to a certain extent, regardless of what we say. So turn to Jonah. If you have one of these Bibles, it's page 532. But I want you to have this question as we begin. Has God placed a unique call on your life that you're running from? Has God placed a unique call on your life that you're running from? Some of you may go, no, not that I know of. Maybe you haven't stopped to listen. Some of you, the Holy Spirit might be prodding you right now. Yeah, I've actually told you to do something. You've been saying no to me for days, weeks, months, years even. Well, the story of Jonah is if you do that, you'll get swallowed by a fish. (laughs) We all at some point are in rebellion. We are born in rebellion against God. Um, and then we have this thing called sin that still dwells in us, or Paul calls it the old man. When we're saved, we're made new, we're, we're children of God, and we can rest in that. Positionally, we're good with God, but yet then we have this thing where we become more like Jesus. It's called sanctification. And there's a process there where God's doing the work, but we have a will there too. And so that's what we're going to look at is now how do we act? 
And is there anything that we are rebelling against? Is there anything we are saying no? Now, we have a bunch of kids in here, which is awesome. Um, and having kids is an excuse for me to do things simply because us grownups are simple-minded anyway, and really we get more out of that, but it's not as condescending when there's kids in the room. So <laughs> we're gonna start with just kind of an overview of Jonah, because um, most of us have an idea of the story of Jonah, but there's a, there's a video here. We're gonna watch a video overview, and then we're gonna get into the book. So let's, let's check out Jonah. This is Jonah, and he's overboard. A few minutes ago, he was up here with these guys, but they threw him into the sea. To understand why, let's back up. Jonah was a prophet. He got messages from God and delivered them to people. God will restore our land. Everything was fine until God gave him this message. Dear Nineveh, in 40 days you will be destroyed. Jonah didn't like the message, and he really didn't like Nineveh. So he did what any of us might do when confronted with the clear, unchanging will of an all-powerful God. He ran. He ran in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he didn't stop at the sea. He kept going on this boat with these guys. Until they realized that Jonah was the cause of this horrible storm that tossed their ship and they tossed him overboard. That's when Jonah met the very big fish. Fish stomachs are strange places, but they get you thinking about life. And Jonah realized he'd made a mess of his. He decided that God's way is the best way, no matter what. And he got the chance to prove it. Jonah arrived in Nineveh, a foreign city filled with godless people. He knew his mission. He held his message. All that remained was a choice. Speak or run. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed! With those words, Jonah went overboard again. Not like a fool being tossed to the sea, but like a man diving headfirst into destiny and something wonderful happened. People were saved. A triumph of mercy sent to motion by one man, armed with eight words and the decision to stop running and start talking. That is the story of Jonah. And the really big fish. That's going to leave a stink. So there's Jonah in a nutshell. Now, the problem is that I like the video, but it ends wrong. Jonah actually ends in rebellion. He didn't like. So this whole city actually repents, and Jonah's ticked off about it. We'll get that in a few weeks. But so he doesn't end with this, woohoo, yay. He gets mad at God because these people repent. And that's what we're going to see through this book is Jonah has a problem. He, he has an obedience problem to God's clear will. But bigger than that, he has a heart problem. And that's where it always starts with us too, doesn't it? He has a heart problem. And his heart problem, it's not a knowledge problem. We're going to see that. He knows God. He knows God well. He took messages from God, gave it to people. He had a heart problem. And his problem was he thought he, as an Israelite, they were God's chosen people. 
he thought that they had this, this unique call on God, that God saves them and nobody else. And so here's his enemy and God wants to save them. Jonah doesn't like that. Jonah says, no, it's about us and, and us, not them, us, not them. And God says, no, I, I wanna reach them too. I have a heart for them. And so here's Jonah's problem is he doesn't like what God wants to do and doesn't like God's call on his own life. And we're gonna see how God responds. Now, I wanna address a couple things before we get into the book. Is this a true story or is this just a, a parable? Because I've heard it and I've read it that the book of Jonah isn't true that it was just made up to communicate a message. And the message was to Israel, hey guys, get over yourself. I've given you a message to reach the world for me, but you're not. Israel stayed in themselves mostly, so get over that. Is that the message? There is a message there, but I'm gonna argue this is true. Most of the people that say Jonah is not true say it's not true because a man couldn't get swallowed by a fish and live for three days. Um, well, let's talk about that real quick. Sperm whale. Do we have a picture of a sperm whale? No? No, don't get me one. I had one. I gave it to you. That's okay. Whatever. So a sperm whale is like a cow. It has three or four stomachs. So arguably, a sperm whale could swallow a man, and it could stay in the first stomach for a couple days. Great white shark, they have very slow metabolism. So they have caught great white sharks with stuff in there and split open that's been there for days and barely digested. So arguably... Great white shark could do it. Sperm whale could do it. The main point is this, though. If we believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, couldn't a whale also or a, or a big fish swallow a man and God make it live for three days? No big deal. <laughs> if, we, if we believe God can do all things, we're not going to struggle with this. There, wow, you, that's a humpback whale. Oh, wait, no, that is a sperm whale. Okay, fine. But if we, if we have the correct view of what God can do, we're not going to struggle with these things. And so we're going to be able to see the message of the book. Uh, Jesus, actually, in Matthew 12, 38 to 41, refers back to Jonah. Jesus believed Jonah was a real man that, that did a real thing. And he refers to Jonah in the belly of the fish as representative of what he was going to do in the belly of the earth, die, raise again three days later. So Jesus spoke of Jonah as if it was true. Um, Jonah, we see him one other time in the Bible, and that's in um, 2 Kings 14, 25. And he has a message, and you barely see him there. His message is, Israel, your kingdom is going to be restored. You're going to have as much land as ever, basically. That was his message. woo and it happened. Um, so that was Jonah's time period. It's probably roughly 760 BC. And so, you know, a long time ago, Israel was still in power. And it was the time when Israel was very strong. It wasn't one of the times where Israel was, was a, I mean, they were a mess. They were going after evil things, but they were strong at this point. So this is, this is Jonah. It happened um, in the early 8th century BC. So let's read John 1. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. All right, so this, this sets up the context for the rest of the book. So check out the map. Here's what happened. Jonah is down here in Israel around Jerusalem. So yeah, awesome. So that's where he is. Um, he tells him to go to Nineveh. 
the capital of Assyria. This was Israel's enemy at the moment. They weren't really a threat to Israel, uh, but they were their enemy. Now, Nineveh was well known. Uh, the Assyrians were well known for their torture, for their evil. They perfected the art of skinning someone alive and keeping them alive. So, I mean, th these, were, these were nasty people. Um, and so he doesn't go there. He goes down to Joppa on the sea and he was gonna go to Spain. He was gonna go run with the bulls. Um, that was his plan. So you see where he was gonna go. Now, what I remember growing up, I remember learning that he went, he fled because most likely he was too scared to go to Nineveh. He was scared of these horrible, awful enemies that would probably skin him alive. Um, I don't think that's true. Um, I think we get, we get a glimpse into Jonah in Jonah chapter four, verses one and two, because Jonah says something here about God. He reveals his heart. Because in Jonah 4, 1 and 2, the, the Ninevites repent to his eight-word sermon. They repent. And Jonah goes out and he says this. And he's mad at God because they repented. He said, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew all these wonderful things about God but he didn't want his enemies to experience that. So he fled. That's why he left. He was at a place where he was comfortable. Israel was powerful and he, he didn't want any part of that. So he fled, he ran. It was about him. Now, before we go on though, I want you to real quick, look at yourself. Do you have a Nineveh? <laughs> Do you have something God has called you to and you're running from it or you're saying no? It could be God's, plain will is laid out in scripture. There are some things very plain in here that I've heard Christians say, I, I just don't believe it. I'm, I just don't want to do it. Or I believe it and I'm going to be disobedient. You know, um, sex outside of marriage. That's one I've heard often. I know it says it. I just don't want to. <laughs> okay. But you believe God is who he is in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. And I've met people like that. That's a dangerous place to be. Or is it something in your marriage? where you know God has told you, you need to fix this. You need to get over yourself, whatever it is. And you've said, no, it's her fault. It's his fault. I'm not gonna put in my effort. Or is it your workplace? You know God's clearly set out, go make disciples, go be a witness. But you're too scared of what they'll think of you. And so you're resisting. What is it for you? It, I mean, it could be anything, but I mean, it could be something clear in scripture or God has put a specific call on you. He's given you an ability or a gift and even maybe a passion that lines up with that. What's your Tarshish that you're running from? Now, I don't think we all have to be running. I think some of us probably here are thinking, well, I'm right where God has me. And if so, great. <laughs> don't, don't wallow in guilt because you're doing okay. But I do want us to look at our hearts. Is there something we are running from? Is there something we're running from? Now look at verse three. What's, what's Jonah trying to do? It ends with this. Away from the presence of the Lord. He's he says, he seems to have this great knowledge of who God is, but he's trying to flee the presence of the Lord. That's weird. <laughs> seems weird to me. He's a prophet, and he thinks that if he goes out on the sea, God's less there than he is in Jerusalem or somewhere else. But yet, do we ever think that? Maybe God's more present in this building than he is at work with you or at home or at school. God's present everywhere, equally and so he's fleeing. This is in your notes. Jonah attempted to flee the presence of God because he did not like God's plan or God's specific call on his life. 
He's in open rebellion. Look at verse four. But the Lord, whenever you see Lord capitalized like that, that's Yahweh. So that's God's personal name. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lay down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and he said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us, give a thought to us that we will not perish. So picture the scene, place yourself there. They're on the Mediterranean Sea, storm comes. They think they're gonna die. It's a hard place to be. I don't know if you've ever been in a storm like that. Tough place to be, Jonah's asleep. Now, these mariners, these guys were polytheistic, meaning they thought there, there were many gods. That was the general understanding of the day. Many gods, and you do certain things to gain the favor of a god, and that god, you could have your family god. So we have the god of whatever, and he takes care of us, but then there's bigger gods, and that's what they thought. So everybody's praying to their God, thinking maybe one will hear, you know, one might be sleeping, another one's on vacation, but maybe one is like tuned in. And so they go and they wake up Jonah, they're like, pray to your God, maybe your God will hear us. And so for them, they had no problem with this line of thinking. And so Jonah comes up and then they said to one another, verse seven, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Casting lots is like drawing straws. You ever done that? You know, who's gonna get the last cookie? Whatever, let's draw straws. Whoever gets the longest straw gets the cookie. That's what they did. And they thought that, that the gods would control the lots. Um, and here, God did. <laughs> he made the lot land on Jonah. Jo Jonah pulled the short straw and they all looked at Jonah and they're like, what'd you do? And Jonah explains it. Um, let us cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah, verse eight. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, now listen to this. I, this is interesting. Watch Jonah. He, know, he says the right things. He's a good Christian. He says the right things. He says, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. God made the sea, but he's fleeing from God on the sea. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Remember, see Lord there, Yahweh. So he's fleeing from the presence of his God, not their gods, but his God. Now that's Yahweh. They've heard that name, Yahweh. My God's name is Yahweh. He's the one that created everything. Oh my goodness, your God's way bigger than our God's. Um, and I'm running from him. What are you thinking? So they're, they're afraid. He says, I fear God, but yet he's running from him. And now they fear even greater. They were afraid of the storm, but now their fear increases because they, they realize the storm is coming from this great, great God. But look what God does in verse four. Going back real quick. It says, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. You're gonna see this throughout Jonah, throughout the book, that God does something. And, and this is, the picture is like throwing a javelin. God hurled it. God made this storm happen. God was responsible for this storm. And then everybody realized, Jonah knows it, and they realize that it's this God throwing it. Again, Jonah did not have a knowledge problem. He had a heart problem, and he was being disobedient. And then you see in verse nine, he says the right things, but he's not acting on it. 
Jonah's actions did not line up with his claim of belief. What do we call that? <laughs> Hypocrisy, right? When your actions don't line up with your claim of belief. That's what Jonah's doing. He claims to believe these things, and I think he does, but he's, he's blatantly disobedient. Verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid. They said to him, what is it you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told him. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. He tells them to throw him in the sea. Is there anything weird about that? Think about it. He's out there. He knows the storm is his fault. He knows God has told him to do something. He knows what God has told him to do. He's, he knows he's in rebellion. He's confronted with it by these pagan sailors who are now greatly afraid. And what does he tell them to do? Throw me into the sea. Why didn't Jonah fall on his knees right there and go, I'm sorry, Lord, Yahweh, I repent. I'll do what you ask. I think if Jonah did that, I think the storm would have died down or I think the winds would have changed and he would have gone to shore. But he didn't. And he didn't go, this is my fault and just run and jump off. He said, you throw me in. It's really weird. You throw me, he wasn't gonna take responsibility for his actions. You guys throw me in. I'm not even gonna jump in myself. You throw me in. It's weird. He will not repent. But he says, throw me in. I mean, they're in the middle of a storm out in the middle of the sea. If they throw him in, he's probably gonna die. He is more willing to die than do what God asked him to do. That's crazy rebellion. Crazy rebellion. I would rather die than obey God. But then look at verse 13. So he's claimed this fear of God and he's not acting on it. Now these pagan sailors are greatly afraid. They're not even followers of the one true God. But in verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They didn't want to throw him in. They showed more compassion than Jonah is. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord. Okay, remember, Lord Yahweh. Now these pagan sailors are calling on the name of Yahweh. They stopped calling on the names of their own gods. They're calling on Yahweh because they know it's his fault. Oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. These men show fear of the Lord. They do what needs to be done. Then they sacrifice and, and say vows to Yahweh. Were these mariners saved? It looks like it. It doesn't say, we don't know exactly. Did they find the one true God? Maybe. It looks like it. I, here's a theme you're going to see throughout. God wants all. God has compassion for all. And God's chosen one is in rebellion, but yet he's showing compassion. In the process of his rebellion, he saves these sailors. 
He's, he's doing something, and these guys repent, and these guys, it looks like, turn to God. And all of this is based on God's heart to save Nineveh, an evil city who they didn't want God. They didn't want to repent, but God loved them anyway. What does it say in Romans 5, 8? But God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you and I were still in rebellion against God, he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin, to save us. Same thing with Nineveh. They didn't do anything to earn God's forgiveness. They didn't do anything. And he's gonna send Jonah. He's going to save the people of Nineveh. He decided it and it's gonna happen. And for some reason, he wants to use Jonah. And Jonah's running and he's not done with Jonah. He won't give up on Jonah. There's a, a few things here. I think it's great to see the heart of God for people, even his rebellious servant. Because I line up more with Jonah than I do with the Ninevites, personally. I line up more with Jonah. And I'm so glad God is patient with me, even though sometimes he has to throw storms at us to get us to do what we need to do. But I think there's something unique with Jonah. God wanted to use Jonah. Did God need Jonah? Absolutely not. God could have sent anybody else. He could have let Jonah drown and said, okay, I'll get somebody else. Hey, Elijah, go talk to Nineveh. Okay, that's what he could have done. I don't know why he didn't. And I would say, this is not, I don't think we can read Jonah and say, this is what God does all the time. I don't think God will say, I'm gonna use Katie. And if Katie doesn't do it, I'm gonna beat her over the head till she does it. I think in general, God will more say, I want you to do this. And you say no, and he goes, okay. I think he lets us go in our rebellion. He didn't with Jonah. I think the point we see, God is compassionate for all. God is sovereign and he'll do his thing, but he wants to use us. And I think that's the message here. For some reason, we, God's people, are plan A. God wants to use us. You are the main way many people are going to experience God through you. Just imagine camp this week. You know, we got our two lady counselors are right here, Bethany and Katie. And through camp, through the people there, these kids got to experience God through their counselors, through the, the worship team, through the staff there, they got to experience God. That's how people experience God in general is through you and I, if we are saved. If we are, so God, God decides to use Jonah. And I wanna look at that storm because I do think, and I'm grateful for it, that God does have a plan for us. And I believe he does. I believe he has a plan for each of us. But I also believe we can say no to that plan. And I believe sometimes he will hurl storms at us for our good. What do you do when there's a storm in your life? And by storm, it could be many things. <laughs> Financial troubles, health troubles, relational issues, um, consequences for sin. What do you do in the storms? Do you stiffen your neck? Do you blame God? Do you continue in your own path? Or do you repent? Do you turn to God and look at him? Sometimes the storms in our life, guess what? They are God's fault. I believe, not always, but I believe sometimes God hurls those things at us for our good to put us on his path for what he wants to do in us and through us. So what do you do in the storms? A lot of times, and I, I know this from my life, as, as, a, as an American, we want to be comfortable. <laughs> we are wealthy. Even the poorest of us are wealthy. We got good food. We got, you know, I want to be comfortable. I do. I'll be honest. And when storms come, you know, I've shared it before. When we had a period where 
money was tough, um, and I traditionally, I could get work, whatever, I'll figure it out. I couldn't find work. I couldn't find work. You know, we, we couldn't pay our mortgage. And I'm looking, I can't do anything about this. What's up with this storm? And God says, get over yourself. <laughs> Trust me, I've got it. And that storm caused me to go, it's not about me. And in fact, God hasn't promised me comfort, but he has promised me that he'd feed me. He's promised, promised I won't be naked. I think those things are in scripture. And so I said, okay, fine. If we live under a tree, but we're doing your will, great. And my heart changed. Life didn't change. Money didn't change, but my heart changed. And the storm taught me something I wouldn't have known otherwise. And the Bible talks about that all over, that trials produce good things in your life. So consider it joy when you encounter these trials. How do you view the storms? And here's something greater. God wants to do something with you. So he'll send those things to put you in his path. It's exciting. And what you see in verse 17 is that if you disobey, you'll get swallowed by a fish. That's the concept. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now, next week on the camp out, we're going to look briefly at chapter two, where we see a prayer that Jonah prayed while in the belly of the fish. Um, and actually, he's referring to a prayer that he, he prayed while he was sinking. So he had a heart change, it looks like, somewhat, maybe just an obedience change as he's sinking into the water in that storm. It was effective in what God would do. But I want us to look. I want us to try and connect with Jonah. Where are you in rebellion? Clearly, God wants to use his people to do great things. We are in a world that is tough. There's evil. Nineveh was evil. Just read CNN.com. <laughs> the world we live in is evil. And if we stay idle, if we stay on the sidelines, we're going to miss out. And I think that's one of the things that we, that we often miss. And I think I skipped some notes here. <laughs> um, but the issue is not whether or not God will work. The question is whether or not we will join him and be part of it. That's the question. Are you going to get the blessing of joining God in his work? Because he's going to do what he's going to do. But what has God called you to specifically? You know, and I couldn't help as I'm preparing this and thinking about this, and I actually taught through Jonah last summer at camp. And last summer when I was teaching through this, it was in a period where Callie and I were trying to figure out what God was telling us to do. <laughs> because God had placed on us, you know, how does God communicate? I wish sometimes you, a cloud sent down a note from God. <laughs> you know, here's my message, you go do this. But God doesn't work that way. Not anymore. You know, I think, can God use dreams and stuff? Yeah, maybe, okay, yeah. He, he can do that stuff. Primarily he uses his word and primarily he uses his people. And his word is full of stuff. We know his will here, but also his specific will at times. And so Callie and I, a year and a half ago or so, God started through scripture giving me a holy discontent with my own life, with our own lives, but also with the state of really American Christianity. Um, it had become this kind of country club thing. It is. It's, it's in general this country club. You'd go join. You become a member of this club, and now you're in, and now we all just have fun with each other until Jesus comes back. Um, and, and there's not really the mission, the mission where God says, go make disciples. That's why our mission here is to expand the kingdom of God in our lives, meaning we grow, and the world around us, because God told us to. And so we got a discontent that, are we being obedient to what God has called us to do? Oh my goodness, you know, what changes do we need to make? And so God used his word, God used people, God used, there's a few of you in this room 
that God used you, and I don't know if I've even told you about it, but there were times where some people in here actually came and they sat down with me like, I gotta share something. And boom, they share. I'm like, oh my goodness. You have no idea. God just spoke to me through you, <laughs> confirmed some of the things on my mind and heart. And so things progress. And at one point, Callie says, if we don't plan a church, we're disobedient. I'm like, oh darn. <laughs> now it's out there. Now we have to obey. But in the process, I had excuses. I had things, you know, I was comfortable stepping out and doing something like this. Who knows what God's going to do through it? Um, I, I, had, I had good excuses. I had good reasons. And, and Callie and others pointed out they weren't very good. And it basically came down to, are we going to be obedient to what God has called us to do? And not to the results. Not to the results. He didn't call us to build a big church in Carson City. He didn't, he didn't call us to save everybody in Carson City. That's our heart. We want to see everybody here saved. That's what he, not what he called us to do. He called us to be obedient. And are we perfect in it? No, <laughs> not even close. I could write pages about the mistakes I've made in the last year. But, but God knows we're not going to be perfect. But what if I said no? What would I miss out on? What if the guy I shared with at the beginning, William, what if he said no? What would he have missed out on? What would the world have missed out on? What if Billy Graham had said no? Enter any great name in there that you know. What about the person who shared the gospel with you? What if they had said no? What about the greatest influences in your life? What if they had said no to God? What about you? Where are you saying no? Have you by faith accepted Jesus Christ as Lord? If not, know this. You're a sinner. <laughs> your sin, you're, you're born in it and you're gonna die in it. And there is a real place called hell. But Jesus came. God incarnate came, died on the cross. His blood covered all your sins. And by faith, simply believing and placing your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, you're forgiven. Boom, you're, you're in the kingdom. You're a son or daughter of the king. It's that easy. And then the process goes through, okay, now, now we carry this out and live it. We're already good. We can't gain his approval anymore, but then we have the joy and the pleasure of serving him. And now, those of you in that place, what is God asking you to do? And I believe there are specific things. There's great need here. There's great need. There's great need you know of that I don't know of. Is there something God is asking you to do? Uh, in your notes, um, and if you, if you don't have them, that's fine. Go online, go to Common Ground Carson app, um, and go to the notes, because there's some questions. I encourage you, I'm not gonna, I thought about taking time, but I'm not gonna, but answer those questions. They're for you, your personal questions. Look at those questions and answer them. Honestly, if you're married, talk to your spouse about them. If you're a kid, listen, talk to your parent. Go do it. Here, Gunner, that one's for you, okay? All right, next week, I wanna see that filled out, Okay. I'm serious. I believe God calls all ages. God has something even for you kids to do. Douglas High School, Carson High School, Pinion Hills. <laughs> Seriously. God has something for you to do. I believe that. Let's figure it out and let's step out in faith. Let me pray and we're gonna close in worship. Father in heaven, um, Sometimes it's difficult um, to communicate the power of your word um, in a way that's full of grace and love because the point is not that we leave guilty. 
And I've heard people say that. If I don't leave feeling guilty, the preacher didn't do his job. Well, I don't think that's our job. I, I, I don't want us to be beating ourselves up. Um, God, I think we should be emboldened. We should be filled with joy and love for you because we understand we can't do anything to earn your love. Um, we don't have to do anything now to earn salvation. It's based completely on you, Jesus, and I thank you for that. And I thank you that we can be secure in there and that you haven't given us a life of guilt. You do convict us of sin, but you don't want us to live in guilt. And I thank you for that. Um, I thank you, though, that you choose to use us. You choose to use your people. And I thank you that you've gifted each of us uniquely. And I know many in this room, and I know their unique gifts. And I thank you for those. There's many we don't know of. God, show us what you want to do. Um, I believe you, God, you're, you're like a river. Holy Spirit, your movement is like a river. And a river is going to go where it's going to go. You can, you can put a dam in it, but it's going to find a way around it. And Holy Spirit, that's what you're going to do. And God, we just want to be in the river. We just want to be going with you, doing what you want to do, using us for your glory. So please, let us be honest with ourselves. Let us examine our lives and examine our gifts and not be you know, falsely humble about those. And then examine our passions and examine the opportunities you've given us. And then empower us, embolden us to step out in faith for your glory. And let us see you do great things. I pray for this city, for Carson City. Holy Spirit, change lives. Draw people to you. Let us, let us go into this week with joy, with excitement for what you're doing, um, and with hope. Somebody prayed for that at the beginning, with hope. Because we, we live in a difficult world, but we can count on you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.